seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless soul, with Aaron and Rohit world. It's a hopeless soul, with Aaron and Rohit world. All right, welcome to another episode of The Hopeless Show. I am really pumped for this show, Rohit. We have, one, a couple crazy updates, some things I, I happened to me in the last few days that I really want to tell you about. And even more than that, we have a great guest again. We have Connor Daly, an IndyCar superstar. He's raced in NASCAR. He's about to be doing his 100th race in the Long Beach Grand Prix. And he is going to be joining us. So we've covered, we've had a lot of different sports figures on this show, and it's great for the first time to have a a racing star on this on this episode. I I mean, I think if we can play our cards right after the interview, maybe we could all just go out and do a little street racing. Let's do it. Let's ask yeah. Connor. Maybe he'll do it too. Great. And we can see. I mean, I think I'll probably beat him. Yeah, I mean, we both we both live our lives a quarter mile at a time, so I'm really excited for us to, you know, um, really put the pedal to the metal. How many puns can I come up with? When um, when I had a Prius, do you think I could have entered it into um, the race? Honestly, I, so my car does zero to sixty in five point four. Your Prius, Prius was zero to sixty in seventeen seconds. Was it seventeen seconds? Yeah, seventeen seconds. Took- Holy shit. It might have been 27. I forget. That's it that's was, crazy. Well, yeah. the, the new Prius Prime. That looks nice. That looks really nice. And that does a 0 to 60, I think, in a 5.9 or a 5.8 maybe. The um, new Prius is a really nice car, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's sadly still a Prius, so it's not totally gangster. Um, it just happens to be ultra-reliable, really good for the environment, really well-equipped on the inside from a good company like Toyota. But what you're missing is the ability to just burn fumes and there's something that i just enjoy about you know like i said i love the environment but i uh i also do love you know uh my car when i put it into sport plus mode how it averages six miles a gallon um, well literally six I, miles a gallon that's uh efficient <laughs> <laughs> and you can only have like really premium fuel in it 91 octane and above well, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're looking out. But, dude, the Priuses used to be cool. The yeah. Priuses, like, seven, eight years ago, it was, like, good to have a Prius still. And then it just jumped the shark somehow. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I think Priuses right now are just as ubiquitous as Teslas. And I think they're both, they're both good cars, good for the environment, all that. But the hard part for me is they're not available in a stick. And they're not rear-wheel drive. And I'd rather have a Prius right now than a Tesla. I know for you for for definitely for many reasons. Yeah. But also, you know, you are a former Prius owner and that was a great car for you. And the new one is a better car. This is no condemnation on the car or its drivers, except for the fact that maybe not you, but the majority of it, there's a whole meme called left lane Prius. And you especially see this in California. But if you, if there's a Prius on the road, odds are it's on, it's in the left lane doing two under the speed limit. (laughs) So that's, that's and that's why we have a racing star on the show today, because we want to talk about Priuses. So can I tell you a few things about what 
what's been going on, what happened uh, this week. Because yes. I had an interesting couple of days. So first, I went to, last minute, uh, I was invited to WrestleMania. That was so cool. Sit in a box and like the whole nine. And dream come true. I've always wanted to go to WrestleMania. It was in Los Angeles this time at SoFi Stadium. And Rohit, going to WrestleMania is so cool. And I know people science think like, oh, it's wrestling, it's fake, it's this, it's that. I'll tell you two things that happened at this show that were extra cool. Well, three things. First, the set and the like, the experience, it's got to rival the Super Bowl in terms of what they do for showmanship. Sure. It's huge. It's massive. Everything's fireworks and like and loud and exciting and noise and music and dancing. It's just wild. And then one at one moment, this was the craziest thing that happened that we got to see that the if you're watching on TV, you didn't get to see is Vince McMahon's son, Shane McMahon, who was a while ago, a big wrestling superstar. Like he wrestled a lot and he was actually big in the like 20 years ago or something like that. And so Snoop Dogg and The Miz were out there. I don't exactly know why, but they were out there because you can't hear when you're at it. You can't hear the announcers talking about it. So I don't know exactly why The Miz and Snoop were out there, but The Miz and Snoop were out there. And there was all of a sudden a surprise match that Snoop wanted to have happen. And he goes, ready for your... So The Miz was randomly going to have to face this guy. And he says, ready for it. And then Shane McMahon's music hit. And money, 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 money. You know that? Yep. And then and then he comes down. Everyone's going nuts. Like, this dude is... I don't know how old he is. He's at least in his 50s, probably. Probably in his mid-50s. Shane McMahon is in his 50s. Jesus. I think so. Wow. And, okay. And then he comes down. Miz is like, oh, man, I don't want to do this match. They start the match. Shane McMahon, like, just jumps over the Miz and tears his quad. So what you see... The, on TV, they cut away from it. But what we saw in the audience from the other side is Shane McMahon, like his knee, his leg buckled. He's writhing in pain. And they have to try to get him out of there. But also they have to figure out what the heck to do. Because right now the Miz is supposed to be hurt. So he's on one side hurt, but he's fake hurt. Shane McMahon is real hurt and Snoop Dogg is outside the ring. So Snoop Dogg does this epic improvise where he just jumps in the ring and starts talking smack and does exactly what the, he does the people's elbow. He does what the rock would do. <laughs> and he improvises the whole thing. Cause he's not supposed to be in the match or anything. He does the whole thing and beats the Miz for Shane McMahon. While we're watching Shane McMahon get slowly carried off on into the back to go to the hospital. To, I think have surgery. And so we're seeing both things happen at once, and it, it's something that I would love to tweet about, but my Twitter was hacked briefly. So yeah. it was so cool. It was just like you never would expect to, what you're, you're like seeing the real story and the fake story unwind at once. So Aaron was sending uh, our little group chat live updates with videos, and I remember you kind of narrating this, and it was amazing. Like, first of all, you, you had really nice seats in like the luxury suite. That was nice. Um, yeah, it was cool. And the. I, I thought that it was, I'm so sad I missed it. It looked like such an incredibly fun event. And um, the fact, yeah, the way that Snoop just kind of like saved the show 
was yeah. really, really amazing. Um, and you know, you mentioned something, Aaron, before you even started recapping all the, the pomp and circumstance and all like the, the, the grandeur, you know, with like, first of all, even the ramp that was coming down from one, from like one end zone of the stadium, all the way down this big dramatic walk-in for the wrestlers with the fireworks and the boom, yeah. the music and the lights and, you know, crowd going nuts. And I heard it like I had another friend that went there, um, actually Dan, who does the music for, for, oh, our, yeah, for this podcast. Yeah. He was saying how. It was the loudest he's ever heard SoFi Stadium. He has he didn't go to the Niners Rams playoff game. That was the loudest ever, and the Super Bowl was really loud oh, too. Oh wait, but I'm like, gonna say I'm gonna echo it. Yeah, it, it was louder than it's been for a football game for sure. And I've well, been to I went to a to Rams, Rams Niners game. NFC Championship game because that game was deafening. deafening. I didn't go. Uh, no, I went to the play the so, one, one playoff but, game whatever. But the, but but I agree. Probably most every other event, it's probably been louder. This this WWE is louder. And I just want to address one thing before we move on. You mentioned the beginning of, of you talking about WWE as like, yeah, people say it's fake and this and that. That is just one thing I cannot help but roll my eyes at. As for anybody to diss WWE or wrestling or whatever federation of wrestling you are watching. I don't know if WCW still exists or whatever. But um, to say, oh, it, that's so dumb. It's fake. You know what else is fake? Ballet. Um, <laughs> movies, um, you know, or how about, or plays, or how about when you go to a concert and most pop artists and a lot of hip hop artists, they just rap over their tracks that are already playing or they're lip syncing. But they're not um, doing crazy acrobatic maneuvers and stuff yeah. like that. So, and getting I'm sorry, hurt. Like if you've ever enjoyed one of those things, paid money to go somewhere to watch one of those things, and then you have the gall to criticize wrestling for quote unquote it being fake. You Nonsense. should check in with yourself. Really check in with yourself. Check in with yourself. Because it is, I've been to a couple of wrestling things mostly when I was younger. One I think was like 15 years ago in New York. I had a fucking blast, like screaming, because you just get into it. You, you get, get really, into it and it's fun. It was so, you're just, yeah. you're so into it by the end. And it, well, oh, can I, so can I segue to something? Because yes. you make a great point. I'll segue to something that was very real that I just want to tell on this show because it's going to be a warning before we jump into our first topic and our interview and stuff. I had something very real happen to me yesterday. Oh. That is going to be a warning to all our listeners because sometimes this show is a self-help show. It's about making sure every one of our listeners gets help or does something better if they need to uh, because I say so. <laughs> and this one is that. So I am at home and I start the dishes and then I'm about to get ready to leave, but I have to go to the bathroom. So I start the dishes and then I'm like, you know, I really have got to go to the bathroom. I have Crohn's disease, so it's a must. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. And then I have a bathroom more to the front and one that's further back. I'm like, you know, I'll just use the front one. I'll go be quick. Go to the front bathroom. Within about 45 seconds, I start to smell something very weird. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I jump out of, like I'm done in the bathroom. I jump up. I go to the kitchen and it's like filled with smoke. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And first I look at the stove because something was on there, but it wasn't that. And then I'm like, I look at the dishwasher 
and it's like you know the dishwasher when it's like steaming when you open it yeah it was i love that, that. And, like, and like your glasses fog up and like it feels like you're at the spa so th- that but the opposite because <laughs> it was the dishwasher was on fire oh and so i grabbed the handle and i and it's like like there's smoke and little flames and i I'm like, oh my God. So I grab, I just start get grabbing water and like throwing it onto it to like put this thing out. It's an electrical fire. Like the dishwasher caught fire. The electrical went out or like snap. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not an electrician. I just knew, I just started putting out the fire and then it got almost out. And then I was like, man, should I video this to like see? So I, like we know what happened. So I took a quick video and then I started to realize, wait, it's making noise. What if this thing blows up right now? Yeah, it's like a so grenade. Then, so then I went away and I was throwing more water onto it. And and then I went to the fuse box and turned off the kitchen fuse. And then it made a noise for a while. And I just sat there waiting on the other side of the house, like to wait to see what happens. It ended up fully going away and the smell started to sort of dissipate and I could leave. So what is this lesson from all this? And it was great. Like I was like, so lucky because I could have been in another part of the house and like, and this thing just blew up. I could have left and knock onto the bathroom. And then this, then I'm dead. So honestly, Crohn's saved your life. Yeah. Crohn's did. If like, it could have been really, really bad. So my lesson from all of this story is when I used to, but I'm not going to anymore. When you put the dishes through, don't leave right away. Give it at least five minutes before you leave the house. I know it's tempting to put them on and then when you have to go, you have to go. Give it five minutes because if I left and didn't give it five minutes, I would not be doing this show today. Or also, don't put napalm in your dishwasher either. Oh, that's not good soap? No. no. Oh. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's, I think, uh, so which this story and these updates lead us to topic one. Because we were just talking about me almost dying. Now we're going to talk about someone who did die. Yes. And, you know, everybody's heard the news. But Cash App founder Bob Lee was visiting his office in San Francisco. And as he was leaving, he was stabbed to death in broad daylight. Uh, He was 43 years old. He was survived by a loving family, a lot of friends and collaborators and admirers in the industry. Two kids, I think. Yeah, two kids. Yeah. He was, you know, they... A lot of people say this, but, you know, some of the things they're saying, he was definitely, you know, someone said he's like, Bob would give you the shirt off his back and he never looked down on anybody. Um, there was a Reddit post about um, a one of his best friends saying, you know, talking about how, you know, my best friend was just stabbed in San Francisco. His name is Bob Lee. This is out of control. Now, there's been a lot of outpouring of grief, Aaron, and it is absolutely terribly sad. But I think it, this is something that, Man, it's got us concerned. And this is not just L.A. people talking shit on the rivals up in, you know, up in the Bay. But what the fuck is wrong with San Francisco? Like, it is an absolutely fucked up city. Um, It's been getting really, really bad. Like, really bad. Um, From the crime to the homelessness to the drugs to the education. It just seems to, over the past five, six, seven years, has just fallen off of a cliff. Like, this is, it's really sad. And it's actually... It's it seems like it's setting a tone for a lot of other cities in the US. Like this is this is very concerning, Aaron. So I have a different take. I feel terrible that this happened to Bob Lee. We don't know the details of what happened. 
having been mugged in San Francisco maybe four years ago myself, um, like I was pushed down, mugged, they took my stuff. That was that. Um, I love San Francisco, and I was there maybe eight months ago. And again, I think it's it's media stuff where they exaggerate what's go- like there. Yes, there is some of these problems, but I haven't been. I have been to zero large cities um, that don't have this stuff. And- uh, dude, Los Angeles. First of all, San Francisco has this year alone um, has fifty six murders. It's only April just started. That's how many they had all of last year. Okay, they San Francisco was the first city in this in, this, in the country to pioneer the idea of if you shoplift under nine hundred fifty dollars, nothing happens. They're not even going to chase you, not going to arrest you, not do anything. They people in San Francisco, it's become iconic where you're not you do not lock your car windows or your car doors because your car will get broken into if you don't lock it. They like we have seen homelessness just take new levels. The drug use, the fentanyl use, every there is, there is numerically, uh, and just from statistically, it is, it is absolutely unlike any other city in the country right now. Um, and we even Los Angeles being, we, we even imported their old district attorney and even the people in San Francisco, um, after George Gascon left, they were like, good riddance and good luck to you, LA. Um, and, so I don't think that this is what is what's common in any other city. San Francisco is, is. I mean, dude, Nash- Nashville has more murder. I'm just looking at things. Ma- Nashville has way more murders. It's just one city as an example. Murders is one thing, but like, even if we were to look even at what's happening to their education system, where they've removed AP calculus. Wait, 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 wait. This wait, is just wait. a city that's in decline, man. One of the great cities in America. <clears throat> When was the last time? Wait, this is going to turn into a debate, but we'll move on quick. Yeah. When was the last time you were in San Francisco? Uh, August. Did where did you have fun? No. Really? I was just, I was just there to for for worst of all, I was I was there for a very short period of time. I was mostly there for work over the past few years. But when I have gone down there, I went to a wedding. Let's see, Garrett's wedding was in two thousand seventeen. I flew straight from Johannesburg, which is its own problematic city. Um, yeah. Directly to San Francisco for a wedding. We were walking to the wedding in the Tenderloin, right? From our hotel. As we're walking, some fucking dude that is sitting next to a pile of shit on the street starts yelling at me and Ina, and he starts fucking chasing us down the block. Fucking broad daylight. And he's just like this crazed fucking crackhead. Like that doesn't happen. That's not happened to me in other cities. I haven't gotten chased in broad daylight by crackheads. Um, I mean that's a funny story. Uh, I don't know. I like San Francisco. I'm gonna go this summer. I had a blast last year when I went there. I never felt danger. Felt danger. There are definitely homeless people, but I felt no danger. No different than any other city. I, I think, think one of the one of the most dangerous places I've ever been was crossing from Tennessee to Arkansas and there's like a bridge and you walk and all of a sudden you're in Arkansas and I did that and just some of the low life like people like inbred people that were just 
it, it was very peculiar and and we were the group i was with we all were saying how this is like these people look like they all want to kill you they're like kind of on the bridge looking at you like so i think it's everywhere um i think that the media sensationalizes certain things more um i mean yeah, it's dude i mean as we're talking about even like in i mean just if you want to look at even just business as an abandoned san francisco since last year these are the tech companies that have left san francisco uh the most the oldest being august of or june of 2022 block which owns square meta salesforce snap lyft slack airbnb paypal autodesk chime and that's just a number like the big businesses are fucking bailing and it's not just because of high cost but it's because of terrible crime and it's it that city's a, a mess right now it is an absolute mess well i love going to san francisco i'm excited to go in a few months and uh yeah. Well, at least here's maybe here's the hope you can shit in the street, rob a CVS um, and break into cars and do all of that one day and you won't get in any trouble and even stab somebody. I think will happen because there's not they're not going to look for you or find you. So would you say so, the speed with which crime is happening, the speed with which crime is happening is fast? Did we talk about our theme? Oh, yes, we did. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it's high speed uh, degeneracy. Um, but yes. Yeah, so speed. rest in peace to Bob Lee and rest in peace to San Francisco because that and, city's fucking over. And we're going right into tech yeah. with our crypto yes. watch segment. And Rohit, you have uh, something to talk about, I believe. Yes. Um, well, first, you know, Aaron and I, we are connoisseurs of investment. Yeah. You know, you come to us for the right advice. Actually, no, you don't because every bit of advice we've gotten has probably gone haywire. Um, or at least temporarily it was great, but in, in the long run, you know, it hasn't been all great decisions. However, Aaron, do you know what Dogecoin is at right now? No. It's up to 8.6 cents, but just this uh, past week, it hit 10 cents. And a week ago, it was at 7. So this it's starting to climb up a, a, again a little bit. And... Um, it's at its highest since uh, December. And do you want to know why? What caused this spike? Yeah, why? Um, so Twitter just changed their logo to the Doge dog. <laughs> that, That's it? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even April 1st. It was like April 3rd. That's it? That's it. Um, Twitter, they just for a couple days. Um, if you go on Twitter, the bird was removed and it was just replaced with the Doge can't go on dog Twitter. Coin, dog face, yeah. I know you can't, sadly. Um, that's hilarious. So that yeah, made it go up. It made it spike. So which is which happy. shows for people who wonder why our society is so great right now. This is the reason. All you have to do is put a logo on on an app, and you can make a lot of money. What a <laughs> great society we live in. Oh, it's beautiful. So I have a question for you. Speaking of crypto. Yes. Do you think that crypto will go boom as these banks around the country and, and in other countries are starting to go bust? I do not. I do not. And that's because um, uh, the federal government is going to make sure, and the IRS is going to make sure of that. Um, now, the Federal Reserve, funny enough, right around the time the Cash App guy was stabbed, and I'm not saying this has anything to do with it, but the Federal Reserve... Uh, they just launched their own cash app called FedNow. 
Now, what they're trying to do is kind of get rid of physical currency and moving towards a digital currency. Now, this may seem like, oh, it's the Fed catching up. Now, I want to say how I'm getting into crypto in a second. First, let's talk about P2P payments. You have Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, right? If Fed now comes in, what, what the eventual roadmap is, Fed now becomes the way you send P2P payments, and eventually the Feds will in produce enough restrictions on the other P2P apps that those guys are going to go out of business, okay? Huh. And then the Fed now will take it, okay? And that, that is an obvious, literally, game plan. It's not even a crackpot theory. Just That's how the federal government works. Um, because they're scum sucking fucking vampires. Um, anyway, yeah. so yeah, yeah, in case it's not clear, I hate the federal government. Uh, anyway, so what the feds are doing with this is there is they now are getting into your apps and getting into your wallet so you can kind of use the fed. Uh, now what that means is originally when they hired like what 87,000 new IRS agents to go after lower and middle class people just for simple transactions, they armed them too. They're not going after rich people with that. Um, but what they did is they are trying to track down. If you if you have any transactions, P2P transactions that are $600 or more, you have to report that on your taxes and you have to fucking pay taxes on that. That's yeah. a new thing that was passed a year ago. Really great. Nice job, administration. Anyway, so what's happening now is if you use this Fed, this Fed cash, this, um, this Fed cash app now called uh, FedNow, now they're able to track every single transaction. Every if I send you ten dollars for for whatever a stupid bet, we're gonna pay taxes on that. No, so they're not doing it. Do not do this, but it's gonna be inevitable. Now that is just one angle. That's P 2 P payments. Well, what the Fed has already done they 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 introduced a U.S. coin, right? Um, an alt an alt coin based on the U.S. currency that's owned by the Federal Reserve. They are already pushing their own coins, their own alt coins. And at the same time, passing enough restrictions, taxations, ways you have to report your own crypto transactions, and they're making it as difficult to not only handle your own crypto, but when you looked at things like Citadel and all the stuff with, with GME and GameStop and how these big financial players that have ties to the government are gaming the markets and they are making it impossible for the everyday person to even team up and take, the, take these bigger fucking assholes down, these bigger hedge funds down and everything. All of a sudden, the the federal government is making it more difficult for transactions to happen, making it more difficult for you to succeed on your own with untracked, Fed non-Fed-based coins. Huh. So, the Fed is purposely trying to destroy any sort of cash transactions that are off the records in both crypto and P2P payments by introducing their own systems and introducing legislation to take down those other ones. So, my my answer is no. Crypto will not do better. Crypto is going to be hampered by the feds. Well, I see that you feel passionately about this. Yeah. And I think you have an opinion. So why don't we move on and let the yes. audience, I'm not going to add to this, but except anyway, I, I think that crypto yeah. is going to go up. That's all. I'm okay. Well, let's see. I've been right. I was right so far. Yeah. Yeah. But let's see what, what happens in the long term. I don't know about it. Well, we're, we're almost to our guest, which I'm very excited for, uh, Connor Daly, yeah. IndyCar and NASCAR star. And we are going to just, why don't we give a little background to our listeners about, about it's our sports update, but instead of just since we have a, a guy in a sport on the show in a minute, we're going to talk a little bit about what IndyCar and NASCAR, what, what he's doing that's so special. One of the things is, Connor Daly is going to be racing in both the 
the uh, he'd already raced in the Daytona 500, and he's about to be racing in May in the Indy 500, which is a very rare feat. Very few people have done both. You and I haven't. And so, no, no. Again, as we said, I was gonna do it in my Prius, but <laughs> I didn't quite make my car out there in time. How many times would I have been lapped? Like <laughs> hundreds. It would have just been driving like 40 in my Prius on the racetrack as like, <laughs> listening to some Sarah McLaughlin. Have you gone to a NASCAR race, by the way? I've been to yeah. one. I've been to uh, one. I've been to one in. Uh, it's somewhere like East L.A. And they have a big racetrack and it was cool. It was so loud. Yes, I love being up front and it's like, it's just when the little cars go by, it's like, it's like silent kind of. And you hear, and like you're fucking like blown back from where you're standing. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So if, and if you don't know, so the difference between IndyCar and NASCAR. Ro, do you want to explain? Yes, NASCAR has the normal looking cars. Um, an IndyCar has the cars that look like F1 cars. And it can, like, IndyCar goes on the street. It's, uh, like, the the Long Beach Grand Prix, which is coming up, is on the street. It's not just confined to a uh, Yes, exactly. And for the layman, uh, NASCAR is vroom vroom, and IndyCars are zoom zoom. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so, uh, I guess... Without further ado, let's kick it off with Connor Daly. Well, here he is, Connor Daly, the man, the myth, the 100 races coming up, man of the hour. Connor, it is so cool to have you on the show. We have uh, never had anyone in the racing circuit on this show, and to have someone who's for this who this year in the in the very rare, in the very rare air of doing the Daytona 500 and Indy <laughs> 500 is uh, is very cool, and to be celebrating your hundred races, hundredth race coming up with the Long Beach Grand Prix. Yeah, no, thank you, man. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's it's crazy to think about all those things that you just mentioned. Um, it's gonna be it's it's you know it's gonna be a pretty pretty historic year and 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 a fun one. Uh, you know, it's already given, it's already got going, um, you know, kind of up and down so far, but, uh, it can only get better from here really. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's been, it's been crazy, but it's been fun. And when you say that the, I want to get into some of the past, what got you here. Cause actually, cause you, you just said that it's amazing that all this is happening. So did you think, I know your dad was in racing um, and, and your stepdad runs the, uh, the, uh, speedway, the, mm-hmm. but I, you at a young age were into karting, right? Yeah. I, I started karting when I was 10. So I, I, uh, technically that's later than some people. Like I would say some other drivers in IndyCar would have started at five or six years old, um, which seems kind of crazy, but, um, but yeah, I, I, my dad never forced me into it. So it was never really something that was presented to me until we had a neighbor across the street, ask my dad for help because they were going to the go-kart track. And so then I just kind of tagged along, uh, because obviously, you know, I had watched plenty of races. I, I, all, all we did at the house was watch racing. Um, so, you know, I, I went in and, and, um, I don't know. I don't know if like we bought a suit or like a helmet or I brought a helmet with me or something like that. But uh, I just got in the go kart and um, 
I guess kind of the rest was 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 history. It seemed like something that I I really enjoyed doing. I didn't know um, you know what, what was possible, but uh, but yeah, we as soon as we figured out that I wanted to give it a shot, my dad got us a go kart and um, and a little trailer, and we started going to races. And was he rate at the time? Was he racing professionally? And you're there karting racing. No, so my dad actually retired when I was born. So I actually never got to see my dad race professionally. Oh. Um, but he was doing television for all the races. So he was still going to the races. And, you know, I would go with him sometimes. And every time you'd go somewhere, especially in Indianapolis, where, where we live, um, you know, my dad, even growing up, like people recognize my dad because he did, you know, five or six Indy 500s himself. Um, and then did TV here for, for years. So everyone kind of knew my dad, uh, but I never actually got to see him race. So um, kind of a wild, uh, wild situation there. And, and then car and carting was, is like the step, the step you have to do before getting into going pro. Right. So yeah, exactly. And like people think carting is like kind of this fun thing that you do it like, you know, uh, like Disneyland or, or Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. <laughs> but it's, it's like carding is very serious um, because it's, it's that first step, but there's, there's small go-karts then there's slightly faster go-karts and then there's really fast go-karts and, you know, you're competing all across the country, uh, you know, in national level series against really good drivers that a lot of drivers, there are people that get paid to go race go-karts as well. Like it's, it's a very high level, um racing series and obviously there's a bunch of other young kids that are your age that also want to be professional race car drivers so yeah you know we would we would show up to races there'd be 80 carts entered in this event and you know wow. only 40 would make the race and so you gotta you know you gotta make sure you get in there you gotta compete at the front um and that's kind of where it all starts it's and then you know once you get out of karting you're probably age 15 ish um and then there's a whole other car ladder system as well so like any other sport, if you play basketball, football, whatever it is, baseball, you're probably playing t-ball at a young age. You're probably playing in middle school. You're probably playing in high school. Now, it's all the same sport, but it's different levels, and you're getting a little bit higher. You're getting a little bit more professional. It's the same thing in racing. It's just slightly faster cars every time you graduate <laughs> to that next level. Now, how fast could you get on one of those carts, would you say? I mean, honestly, the, the power to weight ratio in the go-karts are wild. Like we still, as professionals now, like we would like, I'm waiting for it to get warm in Indianapolis, but we'll go to the go-kart track and drive some shifter carts because, you know, it's 35, 40 horsepower in a, you know, 300 pound go-kart. So it's, it's, it's really, really fast, really quickly. And you'll do 80 to hundred miles an hour in these things. Yeah. Um, Jesus. But it's, you know, it's, it's teaching you techniques. It's teaching you. Uh, the art of racing, you know, racecraft. Um, so yeah, you learn a lot in go-karts and you also do a lot of racing. Like in go-karting, you know, we would do 40, 50 races a year all over the country. You just kind of go around and do all these races. Is it like mostly slalom or are you doing like hot laps? And kind of like, is it like a mixture of like the various course types and stuff? Oh, it's like proper road racing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's okay. go-kart tracks here in Indianapolis, huh. um, not far from where I live that are just basically like real race tracks that cars race on just slightly smaller. So, you know, the, the longest go-kart track really in the country is like a mile long, like maybe 1.1 miles. And that's here in Newcastle, Indiana. But most tracks are really only 30 second lap times, like just small little, 
you know, quarter to half mile tracks um, because you're obviously going, you know, you're these tiny little vehicles. Um, but yeah, full on racetracks, you know, full on setups. And uh, you'd be surprised that you could, you know, you'd find some pretty impressive tracks all across America when it comes to go karting. There's a few out here in uh, in Los Angeles or the surrounding area. There's a, there are a few pretty big ones. I went to a few kid birthday parties as a kid at them and uh, was yeah. not going 80 to 100, but it was I, it was very fun. <laughs> I just want to see if we can give Connor like some Groucho Marx classes, and he goes to the cart to the track, and we can just put down money on him. Yeah, and you know he have like a like a wig, Groucho Marx glasses, and be like, "Oh, what is this car? I've never raced." And then we'll be super rich. Oh yeah, big hustle. Just, I'm in. Yeah, big, yeah, it's in for the hustle. <laughs> yeah. And so when you were doing the karting, were you? Did you have a like? Was there a dream? Could you ever even fathom that you'd be doing the Indy 500 and Daytona 500 in the same year? Yeah, That's I mean, pretty... honestly, it, it was hard to think about because I guess my thought process was like you just have to win every race and if you don't well that sucks you know what i mean and so i i was successful in go-karts like i I won championships you know we won a lot of races but i looking back on it now i would i would say i wasn't the best go-kart racer i would say i actually took a, a bigger step forward in success when i actually got into cars um and so for me i i didn't it was all happening so fast as well that you just kind of kept moving up all right a little bit faster cart cool next level uh and you watch car racing and you're like it still kind of looks like a a myth like i don't know how to get there like i do people get chosen is there like a hmm. weird selection process i don't know how that works and you know by the time i got to age about 14 15 then it was like okay well now we got to think about what's the ne- do you want to make this a career like because it's it's a big dislike I, you had, I had to sacrifice everything in my life growing up I and mean, we were spending time building the go-karts in the in the barn at my house we were doing all this stuff i was reading mechanical engineering books when i was 14 15 trying to learn about how you know setups on the car work and what we need to change to be better and um and all these things but i didn't have that picture in my mind of getting to the indy 500 yet because i was just focused on whatever the next weekend was uh i i guess i always thought in my head i wanted to go to formula one that was like my goal um but realistically i i was in america so i would i would be at the indy 500 every year like that's what i would see and i'd be like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> um but it was so cool that i was like only superheroes do this like i don't think i i, I don't know how i get there you know what i mean and and, and sure enough a few years later you know we we happened to get there <laughs> What was, so what was that jump off point? What was that switch that hit where you got there? Just because I'm sure there's people listening now who are like, how do you get from where you thought you were, which is, I don't even know how to get there to being a part of it. Yeah. Well, honestly, like you had to, you have to generate some support because I had to have people that financially helped out to get us into car racing because there is, there is some of that element to it. Like it does cost money to do car racing. Like at the very lowest level, I don't know what it was, but the very first year of karting, like my dad had had talked to some people that said, hey, you basically try to sell the dream to these folks, right? Wealthy people or people with companies that are like, hey, we're going to get involved for probably money that they will never even care about in the future, but to help this kid, you know, potentially be at the top level of motorsport. And there's a lot of people that do that. Even Drivers have even sold like shares in themselves um, to try to f- help fund their initial careers. Um, and so 
when I got into car racing, you know, it was it was I was 15, 16. Um, this is like 2008. Um, the very first level in there was a large scholarship available and we were competing against 25 other cars. Um, guys like Joseph Newgarden, who's a two time IndyCar champion now, uh, several other successful sports car drivers, other IndyCar drivers were racing. I think in that 2008 class, there was probably four of us that ended up doing multiple Indy 500s um, and multiple years of IndyCar racing. So it was a very, very competitive series. And the scholarship, if you won that level, was $350,000 that helped fund the next level up. So realistically, you if you won, you, you, you self-funded yourself. And thankfully, like the very first year in, my first year of racing cars, I won the championship. So that like immediately helped me get to the next level. And it was like, and then you create a um, notoriety for yourself. Like now the bigger teams understand, okay, this might be the guy, right? And so you generate a little bit of support. That's when it became very serious as well. Now you're having to go to every race and, you know, talk to the people, talk to the top teams, be a, be a businessy type person, as well as a, you know, an entity that is going to be successful, hopefully. And, um, and, and that, that was when I knew it was very serious because you get handed this fake check. It, it does. It's not money that actually goes to you. It literally just pays for the next season and the next. It's like a Price up. is Right check. One of those yeah, big, big, like big fake Price is Right <laughs> check, which looked cool as a driver. And everyone thought that I made that money. Didn't make a dollar off of it, but yeah. it got me to the next level. But it's fun when you walk into Wells Fargo. <laughs> With that big check, you walk into exactly. Wells Fargo with the giant just check, shoving it through the window. Yeah. It's not fitting into the little slot. I still have it, so it, it never got sent anywhere. <laughs> oh, you do? Is oh, it yeah. framed? It's somewhere. I don't know where it is now, but it's somewhere yeah. in my possession. <laughs> so, so that's the jump-off point. So then you get that that fake check, and you are off to the races, which is a terrible pun. But you're mm -hmm. off to the races. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's essentially it. Like, cause cause the cause the next year. Um, you know, basically the way you try to do things in racing is usually it takes two years at different levels to, you know, first year is your learning year. Second year, you got to win the championship, but I won the first year. So we were like, all right, well, I guess we got to go to the next one. So then that, that, that next level, the cars are obviously a little bit faster, a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, the, the drivers were very competitive, a little bit older than me. Um, and you know, the, the very first year at that next level, I finished third in the championship but I had won a race and I was like, okay, cool. So next year we have to win, but I didn't have the scholarship for the next year. So we didn't have a lot of money to put towards that, but we figured it out. We got an investor and, and a couple different people to help us out. And that next year I drove for a really good team um, that was able to run me sort of like a gambling scenario. They were betting on me winning the championship, which then got them prize money so I didn't have to necessarily have as big of a budget, but they were they were planning on me winning the championship or they were hoping that I was going to win the chip. So like I slept in their trailer at every race like we, we, we weren't spending money on hotels like there was not a lot of stuff that was going on. I would sleep in the back of their trailer and we would go out and wow. we set a record. We qualified on pole like seven times, won seven races in a row, and won the championship. So it worked, but. Then again, that was that 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 was another level. Then then I'm basically almost then I'm at a level that's right below IndyCar. And then it kind of a, we took a bit of a different route from then on. <laughs> but you're you're basically a band starting out. Like yeah, you're the exactly. band on the road with these in a trailer just trying to make it and try to get, 
you know, Spotify listens. Yeah. And and then you win, like you have the hit single, I guess is the equivalent. And so yeah. then you move up and then you jump and jump and jump. Yeah, and like at that next level, um, the scholarship system kind of became a little skewed. So like technically I was supposed to go to the Indy Light Series, which is right below IndyCar, you know, bigger, faster cars. Right. The next step is IndyCar. Um, but I had this dream of going to Formula One. So we were able to take uh, a, a, some of that scholarship money because the scholarship that I won in 2010 was uh, 700 grand. So that's that's a lot because that, yeah. that's that's a healthy budget for racing. Um, so we basically went to Europe. I moved to England uh, when I was 18. After after basically I could win, I won everything I could win here in the states. Uh, we went to England. And I started a whole different four-year journey over there. So it's um, winning that here basically launched me into the next sector of my career and basically put the IndyCar journey on pause for a bit. And was the, is the goal to do the, uh, to do the race in Monaco? Is that like the dream? It was at the time. Like there were no Americans in Formula One at the time. And obviously Formula One has had a huge rise recently with the Drive to Survive series. And my gosh, if I would if we would have had a Drive to Survive series back then, I mean we probably would have made it to Formula One because no yeah. one in America cared about Formula One when I was trying to be over there. And it's so hard to do what we did. And you know, I, I see now the the attention that even the F like I did F three and F two, which is obviously right before F one. Now the drivers in F3 and F2, they're getting so much more attention because it's right below F1. Everyone's trying to go to F1. And, you know, I won in F3. You know, we we should have won the championship in F3 against Carlos Sainz Jr., who drives for Ferrari now, Danny Kvyat, who drove for Red Bull Racing, um, plenty of other drivers who are now factory Porsche drivers, factory BMW drivers, like all these guys. You know, we were – I was leading the championship with one race left. And I got wrecked. And so I didn't win the championship. Oh. I finished third in the championship. So, you know, we were one step away from getting to the next level closer. I was a Formula One test driver for two years in 2012 and 2013. And in my contract with that Formula One team, I had to win the F3 championship to then go to F2 with them and then be a F1 test driver for even more stuff. But I didn't win the championship. So that was it. My entire European racing life was over right then and there. Oh, so how does that does it, feel? Like, <laughs> well, it sucks because I I tried to hang on to it for a little bit, but we didn't have the funding. Like the Formula One team was paying for my racing, which is super super important, and I didn't have the funding to continue after that. So I I basically stuck around Europe in 2014 to do like we did like eight or seven or eight F2 races with like the worst team on the grid, but there was like an Argentinian drug dealer that might have been funding the team and he was like wanting an american driver and like it, it, we thought it was going to be cool but the team was so bad and it just it was just the worst possible scenario to be in but i was still kind of hanging on to that dream a little bit but realistically i was like okay i gotta focus on because i had done my first indy 500 i kind of skipped a little step my first indy 500 was 2013 which is while I was winning in Europe and, and everything was like 2013, almost one of the greatest years of my life. And then 14 was like complete disaster and everything fell apart. <laughs> so it was kind of a funny um, situation, but 2014, I was sort of racing still in Europe, but realistically I was like, all right, I should probably get back to America to try to focus on IndyCar. And then you, uh, you come back here 
And did you ever think that you'd also race in NASCAR? <laughs> I, I didn't at the time. I mean, I was bare, I was just trying to focus on IndyCar and, you know, getting the IndyCar was an amazing accomplishment for me and it took a lot of work and it took a couple of years of, 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 of a few different situations to get me there. But yeah, to, to now be where we're at racing, you know, some NASCAR cup series races, uh, you know, I've raced in every level of NASCAR. Now I've raced in the truck series, the Xfinity series and the cup series. Um, hmm. and I've, I think I would love to know what driver actually has competed in all the NASCAR, um, ladder series and the top series and all the formula one ladder series and all the IndyCar ladder series, cause <laughs> I've done all of them. Um, and, uh, and it's been amazing. So I, I've definitely been super lucky to get to this point in my life. And, um, you know, I still have a lot I want to accomplish, but it's been a long road, <laughs> but it's kind of like the racing EGOT. You know, you got the <laughs> Emmys, Grammys, uh, Oscars, Oscars and Tony's. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, not, yeah, it's, I, I've, it had, I didn't mean it to go all these different directions, but I love driving and I love driving anything that goes fast and whatever it is, I like to compete. And every day that I'm in a race car, I learn something new. And then the, I want to, and I know Rohit has a few, uh, few beauties to ask you too but the <laughs> the uh in february the uh the the when we were watching you qual i was uh i was with uh other fr i was with connor's girlfriend another friend watching the uh watching the race to qualify for the daytona 500 <laughs> and that story to me but i want to hear it from your side was a straight movie the fact that that happened the way it did was a movie. And we were sitting there. I actually told Amy, like, this is the only way that he can qualify is a crash that makes it like so this one car has to get hit in this <laughs> crash. And then he will be able to go because for those who don't know, Connor's uh, Connor's on TMT. He's on the, uh, the Floyd uh, Mayweather's the the team like the, the 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 rich guy the sponsor of the car so i'll take i want you, i want you to tell the story more but it was connor it was so wild i know we got the facetime you afterwards but it was so wild watching that transpire and basic it was like a one in a million everything happened so perfectly oh yeah i mean it was you know showing up to the daytona 500 we showed up with a very very small team uh they had only ever done i think four nascar cup series races um before that daytona 500 and uh, it is Floyd Mayweather's team, but doesn't really contribute as much financially as we as as <laughs> we we might need. Um, and and right now in the NASCAR Cup Series, despite what you might think about it, despite the common opinion of maybe a bunch of hillbillies racing, very high level technically. And these teams are spending thirty to forty million dollars a year on these race cars and an insane level of technology, aero development, uh, engine development. And so we show up. Our team has two employees. Uh, and you know, a car that, that was prepared, um, but not at, not in the same facilities as some of these people have. And basically about as good as we could do it with what we, the equipment that we had. So, uh, when we went out to try to qualify, uh, the car, uh, the oil line exploded. So we didn't actually get to do a single lap qualifying run. So we didn't even get to drive the car at all before we had to do the dual races, the dual races. If you're not familiar with the Daytona 500 that's actually how you qualify for the race there are a certain amount of cars 36 cars actually are already guaranteed to start the race and then there are a total of 40 cars that that 
will start the race. But there were 42 that were trying to qualify. So two people went home, which basically meant these dual races were 42 cars split in half. And one car from each race made the race, made the real Daytona 500, and one car went home. So for me, I basically had to beat three cars in the race that were also trying to qualify, two cars in the race that were trying to qualify for the 500. And our car went out there, and it was, like, essentially broken right off the bat. It was very, very difficult to drive. We had a near-impossible scenario to try to compete, and I had never driven at Daytona before, never driven on the Oval Never driven this car at 195 miles an hour, 200 miles an hour, um, and basically just had to hang on for dear life. And well, that, can I just say one thing, Connor? Because from our side yeah. watching it, when when your car went up onto the track, it was bumping. You brought up Disneyland cars. It was bumping like a little Disneyland <laughs> car. Like it was. It, we were just like, shit. He's. This is going to be a lot of trouble because the car wasn't operating at like what we'd want like a Honda Accord to operate on when we pull out of the driveway. <laughs> yes. It, consider like race cars at 200 miles an hour have to be very, very um, structurally sound and also quite uh, not, not necessarily a smooth ride, but something stable so you, the aerodynamics of the car can actually work properly. And our car was bouncing very aggressively like something was broken. It was like I was almost on a dirt bike track. Yeah. Um, but you, you had to fight through it. I had to fight through it. And thankfully, there was an opportunity for us to come to the pits after someone crashed initially. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know what's going to happen here. We made the car slightly better. They figured out some of the problems. Um, but realistically, I had already lost so much time when the the other cars were racing, and I was just trying to not crash. You got lapped. We um, watched you get lapped. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, exactly. It we were in a bad impossible. spot. And there was, there was only one way for me to make it, and that was if the two cars that I needed to beat were somehow involved in a crash and couldn't continue. And essentially, that happened. Like, both cars, Travis Pastrana <laughs> and, um, and Austin Hill were the two drivers. Yeah. They both crashed. They both could not continue, and I made the race. And again, it, it should have never happened. Um, I, like, we didn't necessarily deserve to make the race, but racing is a crazy game, and people have – you know, we'll take advantage of our great days every day we get them and our lucky days. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a crazy, crazy deal to make the race. And honestly, just super helpful for the team and really a, an amazing experience for me too. And I, it was just, yeah. Cause it was so wild to watch. Yeah. And, uh, cause it was just, it was per our show. It was hopeless from the very get go. Oh yeah. Completely. I mean, there was, I was so mad driving around I mean, I was just like, I cannot believe I actually even agreed to do this, first of all, because it's going to be just, we're going to look like a bunch of clowns. And then we make the race, and it's a huge, happy, feel-good story. My mom's crying. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Amy's getting on a flight to L like to Florida. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy time. And, Rowan, I think you had a, because uh, it, 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 yeah. it was one of those, like, they can make a Disney, you know, a Disney movie about it. Yeah. Uh, because it was we, oh yeah that's right because we were gonna maybe see you out here the next day if you didn't qualify oh yeah i was i was coming to la if i didn't qualify so i had to cancel that flight and just stay in florida thankfully to compete in the race <laughs> it's a good flight to cancel and 
Yeah. First of all, I didn't even know Travis Pastrana was uh, was was in that race. You know, I'm mostly known for like all the Hoonigan, Jim Connor videos. Um, yeah. You know, and Travis. Uh, one also, thing he always wanted to do in his life was do the Daytona 500 because he did a little stint in NASCAR like way back in 2013, I think, or 2014, and uh, uh, we became we've become really good friends over the last couple of years, and we did a NASCAR truck race together in 2020, like because we thought it like. We were drunk one night and thought it would be cool to be like, hey, we should go NASCAR truck racing together someday. That would be awesome. And we're like, yeah, we should do that. And then we did it. And then I told him over the winter, I was like, hey, man, I think we're going to do the Daytona 500. He's like, no way. I'm also going to do it. I was like, this is incredible. And so it was kind of the dream scenario for both of us to, to make the race. And I owe him a lot. I owe him a lot of thanks as well for helping, yeah. helping as much as he could. That was pretty cool. It's like, I love that. Just, you know, how... I guess he's another guy that's just kind of dipping his toes, you know, in a lot of different things. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, speaking of Travis and, you know, the late great Ken Block and, you know, even you, I'm just kind of curious, you know, I, you know, one of my cars is a Subaru. I've always been a big Subaru fan, but I'm curious, you know, cause I, I loved all your old STI drifting videos and all that. You know, I think you, I think you had an old, was it an old blob eye <laughs> maybe that you had? Um, no, my 2004 blue STI oh. is Oh, yes, you still have it. Great. Um, <laughs> really? I still have it. It's the only car that, that I right. actually own. I guess the other sponsor cars <laughs> and stuff like that. So uh, are you still whipping yeah. that? I have one I have one company car. Yeah, I have one company car, and then I I only own yeah. one I car, mean, it's, my Subaru it's, STI. <laughs> it's one of my favorite nice. cars of all time. I mean, it's one of the rare, you know, all-wheel drive, six-speed manuals. But that it's that that four block is oh, yeah. the amount of power they can get out of that little boxer engine is absolutely magnificent. And Aaron, if you ever get the pleasure to drive one, it is just, it's a little like, it's like, you <laughs> know, when like Wiley coyote rides the giant rocket with like the little fuse at the back. Yeah. That's what like, it oh, yeah, yeah, feels yeah. like, and this is an, I'm a normal person, you know, it's a, it's a, like, you know, I speed on the roads and I've gone to the track <laughs> a few times, but I'm not a professional race car driver. And for me, every time I've gotten behind the wheel of an STI, um, even back in the days, like the evolution, the Lancer evolution, like just those, Oh my God, oh, yeah. it, you yep. feel like you feel like a pro like the Momo steering wheel and all that shit. Um, they're great. Oh, yeah. Which kind of leads rip. me to a question <laughs> now. Um, after you're done with the race, right? You're in kind of race mode, all that. And I can relate because after, you know, back in the early 2000s, after I got like a good two hours of need for speed, uh, you know, underground part two, <laughs> we great game. Oh yeah. Great. Me and game. My boys would go great out to dinner game. or whatever. Yeah. I had a bunch of roommates, whatever. They'd hop in my, my Honda civic EX and emotionally and mentally my, I'm, my mind was still on the, at my Xbox game. And they were like, Rohit, slow the fuck down. Like, how, like, like, do you feel like once you're like, do you ever find yourself in racer boy mode on the streets or are you able to kind of just chill? Um, like, is you are you able to separate those worlds or do they kind of merge over? Honestly, I get asked that a lot and it's, it's such a different world that it's not it for me. It doesn't even driving on the road is almost complete second nature. Like I do it subconsciously, like driving on the road is, is, is a subconscious activity for me. I think the only thing that, um, I guess, like, I don't even really, like, I haven't had a speeding ticket since the year 2017. So like, I, I'm not like a, a speeding guy. Like I, I don't, 
I don't really drive aggressively on the road. Um, but I do get places efficiently. You know, you know what I mean? Like we're, I, I would say if you ever ride in a car with a race car driver, we change lanes very efficiently. Like we find the most <laughs> respectable route through traffic. Like we, we do things because we can perceive things faster than anyone else. Like the common road driver, their eyes are right on their hood. They're right in front of them. They never look up. So like for us in racing, the first thing that we're taught is use your eyes. So you go where your eyes go, keep your eyes up. If your eyes are up, you can see way more than looking right in front of you. So like, that's the one thing I always tell people when they first start driving and they, or they first try to start racing is like, you go where your eyes go. If there's a crash happening over there and you're just looking at it, you're going to end up in that crash. Like that always happens. But if you look through it, you look ahead, it's really interesting to see how, how well you can navigate things. So I, I separate the road from the track pretty, pretty, pretty keenly. All right. Well, I'm going to take that advice, you know, next time I'm on the road, <laughs> you know, because I, I like to drop it to third or second and shoot yeah. the gaps. And then, you know, it's great. Because it's a fun feeling. That's what we do. Yeah. That, that adrenaline feeling. It's like it's it puts you in the back of your seat. You love it. And we just stepped out of the passenger seat of a thrilling interview with racing star Connor Daly. We talked about everything from, you know, how we can kind of improve the actual dynamics of the race cars to his history to his Subaru WRX STI. It was a great interview. Thank you very, very much, Connor. And um, and for those who want to hear more, we will, as we do with most of our interviews, we will, after this, be releasing the full interview because on the regular episode, we only put a portion of the full interview on. So we will have the full interview on coming up after the release of this episode. So it'll be great to check out. It'll be great to check out. I think you'll really enjoy, especially toward the end. He says some uh, some very funny things. So now we'll go to, we have the last bit of our show with Hope in 60. Hope in 60 seconds. So Rohit, yeah. uh, let's get started. Um, all right, we're going to, we're going to, this is the segment for new listeners where we take 60 seconds to solve a problem of hopelessness. I usually take about, you know, we usually take about 30 seconds to ask it, 30 to answer. I'm going to start the timer. We are really, let's, Aaron, let's try and we'll challenge both of ourselves. Let's really, really, really do, do this it. All right, I'm ready. All right. First you were up first me. and go. The Supreme Court feels so ridiculous to me at this point because Clarence Thomas, one of the justices, he's been around for our whole lives, and he is, uh, he has been taking basically bribes from a donor named. Harlan Crow, a billionaire Republican for over 20 years to luxury vacations. And this makes me feel incredibly hopeless because our Supreme Court justices should not be taking bribes for 20 years. It changes the course of our life. All right. Well, here's the hope I have is that we can just start marking one official after another where you find an elected or appointed official you will find corruption and I'm just happy. We just get to keep checking the boxes. Um, so yeah, this is just, uh, this is just further affirming the absolute utter corruption of our system. Um, so if anything, it's awareness, Aaron, it's awareness that they're all goddamn crooks. Uh, I will, uh, yeah, that gives me no hope <laughs> at all. Um, it's just you talking about how you hate all elected politicians, but I will hope gong the interview with Connor Daly because that didn't get hope gonged yet. So let me in hope gong that. 
Bong. Yeah. It's uh, great because Connor's also not an elected official, so therefore he's a good person. Yes. Um, so that yes. didn't work, but you have another topic coming up. Yes. And equally... Dev- All right. Starting the timer. In equally devastating news, I lost one of my AirPods and it's in my <laughs> office. It's in my room somewhere. Um, I tore up my room and I, it was like I, I was putting away some pants. I forgot I had the AirPods case still in them and they fell out of the pocket. And, you know, like when your AirPods case falls out and then like they fly in random directions, I was able to recover one. I tore my room apart for almost two hours last night. Couldn't find it. So I had to buy a new pair. Um, and even though it's still one in here and, and the little tracking system's not working, Aaron, how do I find hope out of this? You find hope by looking at your friend Aaron Wolf right here and know that he loses things so much. I buy backup sunglasses on Amazon just because I know one is going to be <laughs> lost within the next two weeks. So, and I'm at that point now, I just lost another pair. So I'm going to buy another pair today because I, bu- I lose them so much and have to buy them so often. So just know when you're struggling to find your AirPod, there's someone out there who you know very well who's struggling even more. It, right in time. And honestly, I do feel hope. Truly. Like, really? Yes. <laughs> well, there we go. That's why we bring, that's why we do this show for this moment. Ready? Because I feel like a mess. Bong. And now I realize maybe I'm not the only mess in the world. Okay, got two more quick. We're, we're powering through this. And then we're going to wrap mess. up the show shortly after. The next one is really interesting headline on NPR. Um, apparently, the Auschwitz uh, concentration camp memorial is very upset at the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment uh, Federation, for their shameless uh, promotion by using Auschwitz to promote uh, the latest uh, WrestleMania. Um, there was, they used footage Wait, from what? Auschwitz during a Dominic Mysterio uh, wrestling entrance. Um, yeah. So how do you find hope there? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Look, how do you even make Ooh. the decision? You know what? You know what could be a great background for this? Yeah, what do you got? I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. WWE just merged with UFC under the WME Endeavor label. And the head of Endeavor is Ari Emanuel, who is a Jew and would never stand for this again. Great. Great. Um, Yeah. So maybe this is the end of Auschwitz-themed WWE WrestleMania intro. So maybe that is a good thing. Um, Yeah, that that one's one's dark. That's a hard one, but I I think Um, I got something. And one more, Aaron. Um, all right, I'm going to start this one. In more uplifting news, but that then feels hopeless, the uplifting part is that a YouTuber, um, while conducting a prank uh, in Virginia in a Virginia Mall food court, he was shot. So that's the good news. Um, now, the bad news is that he says he's going to continue pranking after his recovery. Um, so, yeah. So, Aaron, how do we find hope from that this YouTube pranker that does all these annoying things is still going to be pranking? Um, I want to say something, but I, I think I, <laughs> our country is big on guns. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You know, sometimes, you know. You'll trip on the, 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 the sidewalk once, on a crack in the sidewalk, and you think you'll never happen again. It'll never happen again. But you know what? He might just end up in another food court, <laughs> and maybe the same shit will happen. Great. So, yes. 
guns yes, are if there very is popular. anything good about the the absolute widespread distribution of guns is that annoying youtubers can um hopefully um yeah <laughs> we don't and wait we don't actually mean that we do not want youtubers to get shot we don't mean that it was just a joke we don't want youtubers to actually get shot we do not promote any this is a comedy podcast whatsoever. for the love of god for i don't know how many times yes. we need to keep mentioning it please stop sending us death threats a lot yeah Jeez. So then we have uh, what? Uh, so let's. Should we do this quick debate um, and then we'll uh, wrap yeah, it up? Yeah, we with the are... submission. Ooh. Um. Yes. Yes. Or let's we go, just go right to, to, to the submission. debate for next week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll save it for next week. All right. So we're gonna bypass a few a few segments we normally do because we're running late. So we have a submission from Paul in Maryland. He said. There was a red wave in the 2022 election, as I think what he was referring to. Fox just hates Trump. Everything is going great for him. Why do you say such such stupidity? And what I think he's referencing is in an episode a while ago, I talked about how it was fun. I watch Fox News a lot. I think it's funny. And uh, I don't watch it a lot, just during the big events. And... um, it was funny seeing Fox News like just sour on everything and just get depressed and annoyed. But then they had this great election guy who was always who was always screwing up the map. So, but he was. Yeah, I think he's saying that the red wave happened when it did. Oh yeah, happen. Republicans shot themselves in the foot with that with, so the, Roy, with the Roe v. Wade thing. They they had the red wave and then did, then they ruined it for themselves with some really dumb shit. Um, so that, yeah, that's what happened, Paul. Um, but it was, there was, no. there wasn't the red wave. No, I think it was thought. because of Roe v. Wade. They, that, that, that getting sort of overturned and all the, the Republicans that were saying that they no longer stand for women's choice. And they kind of like, it was like a mask off moment. And the rest of the country was like, excuse me, fuck off. Um, but yeah, Paul, I think also has a second question in this built in that you kind of read you're like, why do you say such stupid things? Paul, I'm going to give you a very simple answer. Do you know who says stupid things? Stupid people. And do you know who is stupid people? Aaron and I. So, like, yeah, come on, man. we are. Like, what do you expect? Like, neither of us has won any sort of academic achievement awards. Um, oh. Actually, I ha- we have, but we, okay. but not yeah, for well, these I purposes. Haven't. I haven't even won a fucking spelling bee, and I'm brown as shit. <laughs> so you shit. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So <laughs> I think we can end our show on that. I think we should end our show on that. I think that, that does it for this week's Hopeless Show. It's been a great one. We thank Connor for coming on, and please stay tuned for the full episode of uh, the full uh, interview which is going to be coming out in a number of days and until then i'm aaron wolf at the aaron wolf on all well until you platforms. get twitter back until i will get i hopefully will get titter. T- twitter back titter <laughs> i have t- i still have titter i will hopefully get twitter back soon and yeah. but you can follow me still yeah i just you can, send, not you can send hate threats to whoever stole his twitter account um and we fully condone it Identity, um, and you can follow me, Vohit for Rohit, with the number four right in the middle, uh, and on all the handles, um, and 
including um, what's it called? Uh, what's that? What's that platform? Um, MySpace. MySpace. I was definitely voting for it in there. Um, oh, you fight yet? Yeah, Parlor. Yeah. <laughs> Does Parlor still exist? Parlor. <laughs> and OnlyFans. And yes. OnlyFans. Yes. Um, so. Yes. So thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Aaron. He's Rohit Morales. Stay hopeful. Bye. When the world seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope. A light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless soul. With Aaron and Rohit, whoa. It's a hopeless soul. With Aaron and Rohit, whoa.